morning, everyone. It's been a sweet morning so far, and um, yeah, it's just thank you, Mike, for um, being available to lead us in worship and just be free in that worship. Um, I feel like I haven't preached in a while. I haven't been up here in a while and, and speaking to you, so I'm very looking forward to this morning. Um, those who are closer to me will know, or if you've known me for any period of time, you will know that on the weeks that I'm preaching, I'm usually very nervous about it. Um, and so the natural thing to do when you're nervous about something is to procrastinate. <laughs> and to just, for those of you who don't know what procrastinate means, it's just delaying, postponing something, not doing something that you know is important. And maybe some of you are procrastinators like me. I tend not to procrastinate in other things in my life, but with preaching, <laughs> it tends to happen more. Um, but maybe in university, uh, with your exams and studying with your projects, maybe with work, you also tend to um, procrastinate, delay things. You know you have to do it. You know it's important. But for maybe because you know it's going to require a lot of effort, or maybe because you don't really know how to do it. And so somehow we think that if we just postpone it, <laughs> we won't have to. We won't have to face it. Uh, which is what happened with me in this message this week. Um, just putting it off because I knew it was important. But for some reason, and I want to I wanna go into that a little bit more of, of why that happened, especially this week. But last week, Leanne preached a message. Who was here for Leanne's message last week? All right, lots of you. Um, Leanne was here. <laughs> and uh, she preached a one-off message. Now, one-off messages are those that um, don't, aren't part of a message series. So at Riverside, we like to do series because we, we pick a topic that for four to six weeks, we are going to approach that topic from different angles, and we're going to explore that topic. And it's for, um, it's, we do it because of consistency and for coherence and just to get different perspectives on that one topic. But a one-off is just, Leanne, preach whatever's on your heart. Here's the Bible. Just preach something about the Bible, <laughs> and just let God lead you. And God led her to the book of Isaiah. And out of all the 66 books in the Bible, she went to the book of Isaiah, and she preached a message called Rebuild the Ancient Ruins. And time and time again, she reminded us that it is time to build again. And as she spoke and as the week went by, God just continued to confirm in my heart that there is a new season coming. And I used to really dislike when pastors used to use this word season. It felt like such a cliche in church. I was always speaking about seasons. But, but there's no other better way to say it. A season, if you think about it, is just a period of time that is characterized by, by, by special events or, or by a, a specific purpose. There is a specific purpose in a season, whether that's winter or spring. Thank God summer is coming. Many of us are very much looking forward to that. Yesterday we were at a wedding and we had to be wearing masks and it was scorching hot during the ceremony. And one of our friends, he hates the sun. He's Portuguese, but he hates the sun. He just wants to go live in Norway or something. Um, and so I was loving it. Everybody's like sweating and, <laughs> and struggling in the sun, but I was loving that. So I'm looking forward to the season of summer coming. But seasons are characterized by a specific purpose. And so God has just confirmed it in my heart following Leanne's message that there is a new season coming. As a church, 
as Riverside Lisbon, as an organization with the Lisbon Project, as families represented here, and as individuals. And I believe, I believe that this is prophetic to our context right now, that God is telling us that he is bringing something new into our lives. It's not time to look back at what we've been through. It's not time to, to look back and, and ask why we are where we are. It's time to look forward, to look to the future. It's time to hope again, to dream again, to plan again, to be excited again, to have visions for the future again, to let God fan the flame inside our hearts to be passionate for his kingdom again. And God is moving things around. And I don't know if you can sense it. I don't know if you have, have felt this happening, but God is shifting things around. And I think that is maybe why I procrastinated <laughs> this week. Sensing a new season in our lives and, and for the church is so exciting, but how do I even begin a message about this incredible shift? Well, I thought that I would start simple. Eventually, when I had no other choice and I had to, had to get down and, and ask the Lord, what, what does he want me to speak to you this morning? I thought I would start simple. So Leanne, last week, she kind of just shook us up and said, it's time to build again. It's time to get out of survival mode. It's time to stop just coping, and it's time to start building again. And so today, I just want to be real simple and, and talk about how do we do that? All right, so if, if we've made that decision, we want to build again. How do we do that now? Where do we go from here? How do we prepare our hearts to enter this beautiful unknown that God has for us? Because it's beautiful, but it's absolutely unknown. That's why we call the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. It's always mysterious. God is there, and he already sees everything and all the fruit and all the things we're going to be going into. But for us, it's the unknown. So how do we prepare ourselves for that? And I'm going to follow the story that Leanne started for us last week. We're going to open in the book of Ezra um, we no longer say open up your Bibles because it's just on the screen. But if you want to note this down in your notebook to look into it later, we're going to open in the book of Ezra in chapter 1. And please bear with me if the beginning of my message is a little bit repetitive, especially for those who have heard Leanne speak last week. But a few weeks ago, Reuben told us that our, our memory of what we preach on Sunday morning usually lasts up to 72 hours. So it's been more than 72 hours, and I feel obligated to repeat what Leanne said. So bear with me. In 2 Kings, just to give you some context, in 2 Kings, the people of God are taken captive. So as Leanne spoke, the people of God were, were freed from Egypt, and then they spend some time in the wilderness, and then they enter the promised land. And in the promised land, um, they, they build this kingdom for themselves. But years later, um, in 597 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, he comes in, he's the king of Babylon, and he completely destroys Jerusalem. He destroys their houses, he destroys their marketplaces, he destroys um, their places of culture, he destroys their places of celebration. And most of all, most importantly, he destroys the temple, that beautiful temple that Solomon had built. And so the people of God, they're taken captive by the Babylonians. They're taken away from their homes and they're exiled into Babylon out of Judah. And they're oppressed for 70 years. For 70 years, they can't go back. For 70 years, they're living under this, this other empire until 
um, 70 years after that, in 537, we hear of a guy called King Cyrus. And King Cyrus is now the king of Persia who had taken over Babylon. And he decides, moved by God, surely, but he decides to let the people of God go back. And, and it's important here, a small detail that isn't so small. He lets them go back with one purpose, to rebuild that temple, to rebuild the house of God. And so we pick up in Ezra chapter 1, verse 5. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And that's where we start this morning. But this verse, it stood out to me because I just assumed that when the king said, you know, you guys can go back and you can build the house of God, that everyone would go. I mean, who would want to stay and live in captivity? Who would want to stay and live under the authority of someone else when they could have their freedom, when they could go back home, when they could go and, 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 and walk through this new opportunity that God was opening up for them? But in Ezra, we read that only those whose hearts were moved came back from exile. Some chose to stay. And here's the thing. And before I get into the practical, how do we build? Some will choose to stay. When God calls us to get up, to obey his call, to follow where he leads, to build his kingdom, to enter into the new that he has for us, you will always have a choice. And in one way, it's an extremely difficult choice. And I'll be honest with you. If we focus on ourselves, it is so hard to obey God. It is so difficult to follow God. Sure, the Israelites were in captivity, but they had learned how to make the most of it. They were coping with life and, and life wasn't that terrible. They'd set up routines for themselves, secured their family's well-being. Life was okay. They were doing what they could, living in their own pursuit of happiness. And now all of a sudden, God opens this door for them to go back to Jerusalem. But who could guarantee that life would be better? Why would they step into change again when they could just keep doing what they were doing? That wasn't that bad, actually. It is hard to follow a God who invites us to the unknown. It is hard to follow a God who invites us to trust him instead of what we can see and what we can do in our own strength. And the Israelites, we read in the Bible that they always struggled with this issue of trusting God. In, in fact, before they were even taken captive, it says in the book of Jeremiah, but they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward instead of forward. Some choose to stay because if you focus on yourself, then God's invitation to rebuild is too scary and too demanding. But sadly, the outcome is that even though you think you're, you're going to make life on your own and when you choose to stay, the reality is that you'll be going backward and not forward. But some Israelites, they chose to go. 
and to build and their hearts were moved to to step into what God was leading them to because on the other hand when we choose to place our focus away from ourselves and on the one who is calling us then the choice could not be easier and, and this morning I just I feel like I need to remind some of us and need to remind myself why is it that we can trust God why is it that the choice is, why is it, why is the choice easy when we focus on him and these are just a few reasons of why you can trust God this morning and his call on your life no matter how unknown his call looks like because God is not deceitful God is not out to get you God is not out to corner you. God is not manipulating any sort of game. God is intrinsically good. This week I had a, a friend of mine who um, went through a really bad experience. That he just he has a, a best friend um, that he shared birthdays with, he shared life with, and out of the blue, this best friend just betrayed him in a very ugly and very hurtful way. And we were, we were speaking about it and trying to deal with it on, on one day. And the next day, I asked him, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? And he responded to me. And the first thing he says is, I will never trust anyone again. I mean, this is his best friend. This is the person that he's lived life with. And his lesson from this experience was, I'll never trust anyone again. And I don't know about you, I don't know what kind of experiences you've had in your family or with your friends or at work, but people tend to hurt us. People tend to, to say one thing and then a few days later they say another. People tend to change their mind. People tend to be a little selfish at times. People tend to hurt each other. And so we set up these defense mechanisms in our hearts and in our lives. We set up these guards that we love you and we'll invest in a relationship with you, but to a certain extent. Because I can't let that guard down just in case you hurt me. And so we end up doing that with God. Well, what if, what if God says he's love? What if God says that he cares for me, but really, maybe he doesn't have my best interest in mind? I mean, if I don't, if I don't take care of myself, who will? <laughs> and so we, we, we transpose this mentality to God when the Bible says in Numbers chapter 23, God is not man that he should lie or son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God is good. He is not deceitful. You can trust him. And God is sovereign over all things. It says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. See, God isn't like us just trying to figure things out. God isn't making a plan as he goes. No, the Bible says that he is sovereign over all. And so when God invites you to step into a new season, when God invites you to step into the new, you can trust him because he is in control he is the king of kings the doors that he opens no one can shut and the doors that he shuts no one can open he is the God who mobilizes resources he is the God who has all strength he is the God who can re-energize you and restore you he is the God that when he calls you he can provide and he will equip you you can trust him because he is sovereign over all he is not surprised by incidents he is not surprised by the change of events 
God is in control and you can trust him. And I could go on and on with scripture today, reminding us of the reasons why we can trust God. The Bible says in 1 John that God is love. That is who he is. He is the, the essence of God is love and the purest kind of love that we could ever know. The Bible says in Deuteronomy that God is perfectly just, and so he is fighting your battles. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to try to get justice on your own. No, God is fighting for you. It says that he is faithful, that he has promised to be with us in the book of Hebrews. It says that he is infinitely good and cares for us like a good shepherd, and we read of that in the book of Psalms. In Romans, we read that he has wonderful plans for his children, plans that are not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. This is why we encourage you and ourselves to read the scripture because we are reminded of who he is and why we can trust him because he gave his son for us. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate act of love. It says in 1 John, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is why you can trust him. So as this new season comes in, there are only two choices. Remain living life your own way, trying to cope and make the best of what you've got, or trust God, pursue God. Follow where he leads and build again. When opportunities start coming into your life, when invitations start coming into your life, when change starts to happen, you don't have to panic. You don't have to despair. You don't have to be anxious about anything, but you can dive head in to whatever comes your way in peace, knowing that God is leading you and that you can trust him. Because whatever God is doing, it's for his glory and with your good in mind. Okay, so I haven't gotten very practical yet. How do we rebuild? But I just felt like I needed to remind us before we get into the practicality of it that you have a choice. And as this new season comes in, God gives you this freedom to decide. Are you going to come with me or will you choose to stay? So how do we build? The Bible tells us in the book of Haggai, there's a few books there in the Bible that talk about this rebuilding of the temple and, and the whole story of how that happened when the Israelites came back. But in the book of Haggai, it says that Israelites went back to Judah and they started rebuilding the temple. And they were excited and they were ready for what God was going to do. But soon enough, their work pace started to slow and they started to arrive late to work. And they started to, to feel a little bit demotivated. And eventually they were completely discouraged. And they stopped altogether. What happened was that they started thinking about the past. I mean, they had been in Babylon for 70 years. And so there was still a lot of them that remembered what that old temple looked like. There was still a lot of them that remembered. If, if you go back to First Kings, you will read of how majestic that temple was. We read of how David wanted to build the temple, but God says it's not, it's not for you to build, it's for your son to build. And so he, he makes explicit instructions to his son saying, this is how, these are the measurements, and these are the weights, and these are the supplies, and these are the materials that you should use to build the temple. 
And a few weeks ago when Reuben spoke about Solomon, he spoke about how wealthy he was. And so Solomon, due to his riches and his fame, he was able to go above and beyond the dream that David had for the temple. And he imported the best timber and the best gold and the best silver that you could have used to build this temple. And he, he employed the best craftsmen and silversmiths and goldsmiths and the best architects. And he had the best team to build this incredible temple and people from all over the ancient world they came to see this incredible work of art and now fast forward to the book of Haggai and you have a few guys trying to build a temple with almost no resources with very little know-how I'm sure it felt like comparing a custom-made, beautiful designer temple to now like an Ikea-type scenario where <laughs> they're trying to follow some instructions with materials that probably won't last very long. And so they start getting discouraged. And they start asking themselves, what have we done? What have we done coming back to Judah? Is this temple even worth building? And so God speaks straight to their hearts in the book of Haggai through this prophet named Haggai. And he says this, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? See, God acknowledges what they're feeling. God knows their hearts, and he knows that they're spending all this time comparing what they're doing to what used to be. He knows why they're discouraged, and he addresses that specifically. And then he says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Essentially, God says, just get back to work. Don't be afraid. Stop, stop dwelling in your thoughts. Stop dwelling in this comparison and just start building again. I am the one who called you. Remember, I am the one who took you out of Egypt. I am the one who is sovereign. I am the one who cares for you like a good shepherd. So just get back to work and start building. You can trust me. I'm still with you. And just here we have a few lessons of how we can get back to work. When all the odds seem to be against us, when our thoughts start to take over our minds and everything in us says to stop building, we have a few lessons of why and how we can build. Number one, use what you have. See, the Israelites were demotivated because they thought that they didn't have what it took for the mission they were given. They didn't have the resources or the know-how they didn't have nearly as much strength and as much builders and as many men as Solomon had when he built his temple. And so they, they didn't have what it took. Especially after 70 years of oppression, I mean, that is not the right time to give these people a responsibility and a task as big as this one. Often I think God gives us a mission to build his kingdom and to be a blessing. And instead of doing just that, we hide away because we don't think we have what it takes. Especially after a year like we've had. I mean, how can I strengthen others when I have been so tired? 
How can I uplift others when I have felt so down? How can I encourage others when I have also been struggling myself? I want to challenge you this morning and I want to suggest to you this morning that perhaps it is exactly because you feel this way that you are the best candidate for the job. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. See, at church especially, we have this habit, and maybe it's our defense mechanisms, and maybe it's, it's back to, again, the guards that we put up in our hearts. But we have this habit of covering up our stories. We have this habit of covering up what we've experienced in our lives, and we, we tend to hide our scars. We don't talk about the things we've been through. But can I suggest to you that your scars only make you more beautiful, that the hardship you have been through is possibly your biggest tool to build the kingdom of God. God is calling us to love people not out of a superficial experience with him, but God is calling us to love people out of the love that we have experienced, out of the love that we ourselves have received from him. So if you have struggled with unemployment, then I believe that you are the best person to encourage someone who's now desperately looking for a job. If you have been through a depression, then let God use your restoration to heal someone else's life. If you have battled to overcome an addiction, then let your battle be a reference of hope to those who think that there is no way out. Don't hide what you've been through. Don't cover it up. But let that be your biggest tool of ministry to build the kingdom of God. People need to hear from you. Not just to know that, that God cares, but to see a reference, to see an example of restoration and of healing. People need to hear your story. That is how you build the kingdom of God. Through your testimony, through your witness. If you see in the early church how the church began, it was 12 guys or 11 guys who were going around telling the world, saying, this is what Jesus did in me. This is how Jesus changed me and person after person, follower after follower, disciple after disciple who just went no matter, no matter where it was, no matter who would listen. They just wanted to tell people, this is what Christ has done in my life. He's transformed me. I used to be like this and now he has renewed me. He's given me a new identity and I just need to tell you because the same is possible for you. And I feel like instead of hiding our stories, we need to use Use our stories as a tool to let people know God wants to do the same thing in you. God wants to transform you in a unique and a beautiful way. You may not have silver and gold, but the pain that you have been through and the comfort that you have received from God is what it takes to build again. Use what you have, what God has uniquely worked in your life. And number two, don't despise small beginnings. The Israelites were demotivated because what they were doing seemed so small and so insignificant compared to the past and what used to be. But it says in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10, Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. 
to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Zerubbabel, that is an interesting name. Thank God we're not having a boy. Otherwise, <laughs> could go that way. We still don't know what our baby girl is going to be named. So if you all have uh, suggestions, we gave Prerna a ride to church this morning. And I was like, go, Prerna, what would you name your daughter? <laughs> so suggestions are open. Um, but Zerubbabel was one of the leaders among the group, um, the governor of Judah at the time. And he was responsible for laying the foundation of the temple. And I had to look up what a plumb line was. And this is what I found. It's an instrument used by masons and carpenters to draw perpendicular lines in order to judge whether the building is upright. So the whole point is to get the foundation right so that then when you start building, it'll be upright. And they knew God wanted them to build something beautiful, but all they could see so far was the foundation, and they were discouraged. See, when God gave us the vision to, to start the Lisbon Project in Riverside, Lisbon, um, it took about nine to ten months from the moment that we said, okay, we're going to do this, and then the moment that we inaugurated it and actually started the work. So about those nine, through those nine, ten months, it was, it was a time of a lot of research. I spent every day researching about immigrants and refugees, and if we're going to start an organization, what is that going to look like? And the more that we worked, the more that we planned, the bigger our vision got. And I remember Ruben and I would go, and we would sit at a coffee shop, and we would do all kind of sketches and scenarios and, and plan programs and how would teams work and where do we want this to be and the more time that we spend thinking about it the the more excited we were about it and, and the bigger our vision got about what God was going to do and how God was going to build the church in Lisbon and and then it got to that time where we had to find a place we had to find a home to to start this thing and we looked and we looked and we looked and everywhere we found was so expensive and we found beautiful places but we just we couldn't afford it at the time and this was my dream place to be near Martimunish, to be in this in this freguesia that we're in right now that was the dream and and we looked but we couldn't find and i remember i still when i drive to to work now i still see the streets that ruben and i walked we just walked and walked and walked and went door to door and the signs that we saw and we asked about it um, but we looked for so long until finally we go to this place that was referenced by my dad, a friend of, of my dad's, and we find this tiny little place outside of the city center in Lumiar, and that seemed like it was going to be the place. And I remember leaving there and thinking, this is not where I want to go. This is not where I want to be. This falls so short of the vision that we have. I mean, God has given us this huge, exciting idea and this ministry to build. And what is this? <laughs> this does not, is not computing. It's not compatible to the vision that we have. And then I just felt God say, do not despise the day of small beginnings. He loves to see the work begin. See, some works, they never begin because we can't get over our own perspective of how small the foundation looks. God already sees the whole building and God can already see all the beauty that is to come, but we're so stuck on what we can see and what doesn't look right and what doesn't seem to make sense to us and what looks so small. See, in some translations it says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. 
But it wasn't a day for Zerubbabel. It's an interesting expression because for Zerubbabel, it had been about 20 years. And this is all they had achieved so far, the foundation. <laughs> and yet, here's the thing. I, I've learned about the day that God is referring to. It's not a waste or a mistake. God uses the days of small beginnings to shape us and to prepare us, to draw us closer to him. And here's a principle that we find in Luke chapter 16 that, that God uses all throughout the Bible. He says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. And so my encouragement for you today in a very practical way is just start. Just be faithful today. If you are a new Christian, then don't discredit or disqualify yourself from building the kingdom of God. You are in a beautiful beginning that God is using to shape you and to mold you. So start using the gifts and the talents that God has given you to be a blessing. And whether you are a new Christian or you've been a Christian for many years, then it's time to build again, no matter how small that start looks like. Serve at church however you can. Get plugged into a Bible study. Get into some ministry, whether it's, it's, it's being on the welcome team or helping to make breakfast or sorting out the chairs, whatever you can to serve the church, to serve the kingdom. Just start today. Be an encouragement to those around you. Just start overflowing into the people that God has placed into your lives with what you have received. Be faithful with the mission that God has given you today so that you will be faithful when the increase comes tomorrow. Just start. And number three, build God's kingdom and not your own. Haggai goes on to encourage the people because the people, they were feeling down not only um, because they thought they didn't have what it took and because the beginning was taking forever, but they also had the wrong view of success. They also had the wrong view of what the end goal was here. To them, success was all in the outward appearance of the temple. If they could make something as impressive as Solomon's temple, then that would be a success. If they could build something as beautiful, as rich, as magnificent, then that would be something worth building. And so we get to verse 6 of Haggai chapter 2. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in this place, I will grant peace declares the Lord Almighty. And I don't think the people at the time quite understood exactly the depth of what God was telling them. He says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And so if I wanted this temple to look as beautiful and as grand as Solomon's temple, then I can make that happen. 
If I wanted you to be in a high position right now, then you would be. If I wanted you to look a certain way or to be in a certain place, then you would be because God is sovereign and he is in control and he can open any door whenever he wants to. And he tells these Israelites, if I wanted this temple to be this grand success as you see it, then it would be. Because the resources are mine. I'm the same one who provided for Solomon. And if that was my plan, I would provide for you too. But God had something so much greater in mind for this temple. God says, says through Haggai, I will fill this house with glory. And this is so important. And the glory of this present house, he says, the glory of this shabby-looking temple that you think you're building, the glory of, of this temple that you are working on will be even greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, because about 500 years after this project began, God would send his only son to the world and in Luke chapter 4, we read that Jesus himself, the Son of God, walks into this temple. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have come to free the brokenhearted. I have come to heal the wounded. The God, the Son of God, walks into that temple. And the glory of this present house is greater than the glory of the former. He would minister in this temple. The Prince of Peace would bring everlasting peace to his people. As we start building, it's so easy for us to get distracted with our own vision of success. See, God opens amazing opportunities for us. God places us in strategic places. The job that you have, you didn't get there on your own. The God who is above all things, he got you that job. The house that you're in, the family that you're in, God placed you there for his glory. God places us in the country that we're in, in the position that we're in, to build his kingdom. And yet it's so easy for us to get carried away with our own view of success. And we start getting carried away by the outward appearance of things. Well, after all, when people look at me, they need to see what I've built and what I've achieved and, and what I've made for myself. Meanwhile, God says, listen, it's all about my glory. Whatever I am doing in you, whatever doors I open for you, whatever invitation I bring you into, whatever job I bring you into, it is for you to build my kingdom and not your own. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are a temple? of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. How incredible is that? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when people look at us, it's not about the outward appearance that you have managed to build, but it is about the glory of God shining in you. It's time to build again. It's time to let God use us to build his kingdom, that people might be touched, that people might be inspired. We are living in a time where not only in the church, unfortunately, but especially outside the church, a time of hopelessness, 
a time where, where people can't even look to tomorrow because they're trying to cope with today, where the unknown for most people, it brings fear and it brings anxiety. And it is up to the church to come and be the light. It's up to the church to come and bring the sense of security, a sense of confidence, a sense of passion and excitement again, because our God is still the same and he's still moving. And so as I close this morning, I'm going to ask Mike and the, and the worship team to come up. I just want to remind you of these three things. Use what you have. Don't focus on what you don't have. Don't focus on the gifts that God has given someone else and hasn't given to you. Don't focus on your depletion or don't focus on all the things you're not. But what do you have? Well, has God worked in your life? How has God moved in your life? And let that be your biggest tool to make an impact in the kingdom of God. Don't despise the small beginnings. Don't look at your life right now and say, oh, it's not even worth it. Don't look at the small beginnings and, and, and think that God doesn't see it or think that it's not worth it. God loves to see the work begin. You have a choice. You can go where God follows and God will bring the increase. And I am a living testimony of that. My life is a living testimony of how God brings the increase. And it is up to us to just be faithful. And lastly, build the kingdom of God and not your own. Wherever God has placed you, whatever university, whatever job, whatever family, whatever city, whatever home God has placed you in, it's about his kingdom. It's about letting the Holy Spirit shine through your life. Let the glory of God fill the temple that is your body. Fill the temple that is the church today. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. And will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much that you are speaking Lord, thank you that it's an exciting time. Thank you that you are changing things around. Thank you that you are bringing a new season. And Lord, I pray that you prepare us. Prepare us not only to be willing, but to know how to follow you, to know how to build, to know how to create impact in the people around us. God, I pray that you will use the many stories in our lives. I pray that you will use the experiences that we have with you and that we will speak about them with boldness as to inspire the people around us, God. I pray that we won't take things for granted, but that we will minister out of gratitude of what you have done, Lord. God, I thank you because you are calling each one of us in such a unique way. And as things start to happen... And as we start being placed in, in different situations and in different circumstances, whether they're easy or whether they're difficult, God, because you don't promise easy. You don't promise just prosperity. But God, we know that you do promise faithfulness and you promise to use us. And so whatever comes our way, God, in the next weeks, in the next months, I pray that we will be servants who say, here I am. Use me, Lord. Send me. I'm ready and I'm willing. 
my heart is moved to go where you want me to go, to follow where you are leading, Lord. Our hearts are open. As we were worshiping earlier this morning, our hearts are open, God. Come with your presence, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Align our will with your will. God, I pray that you revive a passion for your name, a passion for who you are, that you will bring us into greater intimacy with you again, God. That when we seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's keep worshiping this morning.